Hey everybody, today we are in Matthew chapter 2 and it's really wild because usually when you're in Matthew chapter 2 it's Christmas time and you're talking about Jesus being born and the wise men and here I am outside in the sunshine with a nice breeze and it's perfect out but um, I think it's worth it I think it's it's really good I, I tend to do this about once a year at some point maybe twice or three times to talk about Christmas when it's not Christmas <clears throat> and to talk about uh, the miraculous birth of Jesus and the events surrounding his birth that were just incredible and just uh, miraculous in a time where we're not caught up in the hubbub of Christmas. So that's where we're going to be today. Matthew chapter 2. Remember Matthew chapter 1 was the genealogy and the actual birth of Christ. And, you know, Matthew doesn't really tell a lot of the story of what happened when he was born. You don't get a lot of that. And he gets right into kind of the next the next big event. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. So these guys came from the east. It's exciting. Every time the east is mentioned in the Bible, you want to look for sin. Uh, there's a rule of a thing called the rule of first mention. And whenever something's mentioned for the first time in the Bible, you look at every other time that thing is mentioned in the light of that first mention. And so the first mention of things going to the east was when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, when they were banished, when they fell they rebelled against God. They did things their own way instead of uh, submitting to God's way and letting him do things and provide. They tried to arrange provision for themselves. And so that was the first sin. And they were banished from the Garden of Eden and sent to the east. And so from then on, uh, things going to the east, there's times in in uh, first and second Samuel where Saul goes to the east and he is going to commit sin when he goes there. There are times where um, people flee to the east because of their sin. There's times where uh, people come from the east and they're turning from their sin. They're no longer sinning. They're coming from the east. And so here are these wise men. We don't know that they were necessarily sinful men. But just the fact that they're coming from the east, um, it means just the real truth that they were coming from the east. They were in Persia, uh, in the land of Babylon, which we know is continuously in the scriptures an example of sin and evil and pagan and wickedness. But the fact that they're coming from the east, from the land of Babylon, from their sin to worship the king of the Jews shouldn't be overlooked. That's a big deal. These guys were probably um, known as the Magi. They were probably the wise men of Persia that 
Daniel was a part of when the, the king Nebuchadnezzar was going to kill all the wise men if they couldn't interpret his dream. Those, those guys were um, the ancestors of these guys, the, the predecessors. That's it. And a lot of, a lot of uh, archaeologists and historians think that the star that they were looking for was told to them. They were told to look for it by Daniel himself. And so these are old, old, old followers or believers in Yahweh that ascribe to the teachings of Daniel while he was in Babylon and are now fulfilling the prophecies of Daniel. So they come to find the king of the Jews. Now, of course, King Herod, he thinks he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Jerusalem. He's the king of this section of Israel. And so... He didn't have any kids recently, and when they come and they say, we came to find the king of the Jews, of course he's going to be alarmed. Actually, the whole city is alarmed. Uh, wise men from the east came. They, when Herod heard, Herod the king, Matthew does a good job of reiterating, Herod is the king. So when he hears that they're looking for the king of the Jews, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. So the idea that there were three kings uh, doesn't hold water here because um, all of Jerusalem is thrown off by these guys. Uh, either these three guys came and were very influential or more likely they had a whole caravan and they would have guards, they would have um, servants with them. The, the travel from where, where they think these guys came from, just that travel is 40 days if you were doing 20 miles a day. So it was probably more than 40 days. It was probably a real journey and that you would have to prepare for. It would not be a safe journey. There would be plenty of uh, thieves and robbers along the road, not to mention political uh, folks because they are foreigners. They're not, they're not Romans and they're not Jews and they're coming into Roman-occupied Jerusalem. So there's a lot a lot going on with these these wise men from the east however many of them there were so they assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and Herod asked them where is the Christ to be born and they told him in Bethlehem of Judea so it's written by the prophet man those Pharisees they were quick on the quote they could quote that scripture and you O Bethlehem in the land of Judea are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Um, every time I read this, I think, okay, I, I think the same thing, and it's hard, it's hard not to judge them. I mean, they had lives, and they were struggling, and they were doing what they could do. But if you knew the city where the Messiah was going to be born, why would you live in any other city? Why would you be anywhere else? If you knew the savior of the world um, was gonna be born, you, you don't know when, it might be hundreds of years. But I just always think, if you knew Jesus was gonna be born in Bethlehem and you could live anywhere you wanted, why not live in Bethlehem so that you could be there when the Messiah was born? <laughs> Why are these guys in Jerusalem? Uh, 
So anyway, I don't want to make them look bad or throw them under the bus or anything, but they're all in Jerusalem, not in Bethlehem. So then Herod summons the wise men secretly. And this just gives us a little inkling into Herod. Um, Herod was a bad man. And so he gets these the wise men separately. He asks them, when, when about this happened? When did you see this star? And then he says, go to Bethlehem. Go and search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring me word so I too can worship him. So what the wise men didn't know was that Herod killed off a bunch of his kids, his own children, because they wanted his throne. Uh, he killed one of his wives because he suspected her of uh, not being faithful, which he was paranoid enough to kill a bunch of his kids because they, they were the rightful heirs to the throne, and he didn't like that. So he killed a bunch of them. Um, and the, the uh, historical account of it is terrible because they're like pleading from, they're old enough to be adults, but they're pleading for mercy. And uh, it's just this gruesome, horrible thing. So Herod, Herod's a terrible man. Um, they go, the, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them till it came to rest over the place where the child was. They saw the star. They rejoiced greatly with great joy. They were super excited. Um, it's kind of funny. I mean, if you're looking for a way to talk to your friend that believes in astrology, there's astrology in the Bible. And, and it wasn't um, to try to gain favor, and it wasn't try to manipulate circumstances. It was to lead us to the Savior. And... There's places in, in the Old Testament where, and even a couple in the New Testament, where it talks about uh, how evil witchcraft is, how evil idolatry is, how, uh, how foolish it is to judge your life by the stars and to you know, believe in astrology and all that. Um, it is wickedness. And uh, here's an example of it being rightly used if it points to Jesus so that you surrender to him and worship him that's the only time only time in the scripture that anything like astrology is good is if it points to Jesus and leads people to Jesus so they come in this miraculous star leads them they're full of joy they're so excited I mean think about it if 500 years ago this old prophet that could interpret dreams and prophesy kingdoms told them about this star that was going to lead them to the savior of the world and the king of the Jews and you waited 500 years for it and then all of a sudden you saw it again you, you saw it for the first time you travel all these miles now you're looking for it and you see the star again and it leads you right to the spot they're ecstatic this is wow they go into the house they see the child with mary his mother and they fell down and they worshiped him they they came into the house they fell to their knees worshiped they opened up all their treasures you know they had this caravan that they brought they opened this up they offer him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So here's Mary and Joseph. They're still in Bethlehem. 
so they've had they've had the the baby um, remember they were from Nazareth they were from Galilee but they went down to Bethlehem so that jo Joseph could be counted in his family for a census so they've stayed there they've had the baby we'll we'll find out later it's not well it's not the night that uh, you know it's not Christmas night with all the shepherds and all that there uh, it's a little bit later and here are these kings these wise men these kings from a foreign land come in and uh, they may or may not have spoken Aramaic that is what they would have spoken in their house with Mary and Joseph would have spoken Aramaic they, they might not have even known their language they probably knew Greek that's probably how they, they talked to Herod because the whole Roman world spoke Greek and uh, they come into the house they fall down fall down and worship him they open their treasures gold frankincense and myrrh the gold is obvious it is just this very valuable beautiful metal it can be used for um, you know decoration it can be used for for important things for beauty it can be sold frankincense and myrrh now these are pretty wild um, frankincense was a, a burial uh, chemical basically it was a we say spice uh, spice just doesn't do it right um, nowadays we would call it a chemical <laughs> we would call it a chemical and it was it was an embalming embalming chemical and so that's kind of weird. It, it, it could have been used as a preservative. Uh, they don't know, like if you would put it on stuff, but um, you wouldn't necessarily eat it. But it would be really, really fragrant. It would smell really good. Um, same with myrrh. Myrrh, there, there's all kinds of other places in scripture where these are mentioned as kind of perfumes or uh, really fancy, fancy aromatic, you know, you know, air freshener. I guess we would think of it as air freshener. Uh, air fresheners, perfumes, and embalming chemicals. And all of that's expensive. So it's it keeps and it's able to be resold. But it's also looking ahead that Jesus is going to die. And it, it's prophesying that because they knew that part of it too. They knew that part of the king of the Jews. Which is... Um, haunting to say the least so they bring all this stuff it the other cool thing about this is that's probably how they financed their trip to Egypt and that's probably how they financed getting started in Egypt we'll talk about that in a minute verse 12 being warned in a dream not to return to Herod they departed to their own country by another way so the wise men they see the king of the Jews they worship him they give him honor the way they know to give him honor, which is to give him a whole bunch of riches. Then they have a dream and they sneak back to the east. So God has already spoken to Joseph in a dream earlier where he said, you know, don't divorce Mary, but marry her. Take her to be your wife because what's conceived in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Here, God talks to them in a dream, telling them, 
don't go back to Herod. When they departed, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. And he says, rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. Because Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. <gasps> wow. He rose, he took the child and his mother by night, departed to Egypt and stayed there until the, the death of Herod. So he, he did that right there quick as a wink that night because Herod's going to find out and it's all going to go down. And that's what happens next. Um, Matthew gives you this little prophecy. He remained there till the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. I called my son. So until this moment in the Old Testament, when God talks about his son, it's just a few little parts where a prophet speaks through God, talks about his son, and uses that word son. And um, everybody thought that was Israel. That that was, you know, God talks about Israel as his bride. God talks about Israel as his son. God talks about Israel as uh, his, his inheritance. Now, all of a sudden, Matthew is calling it out that when God talked about his son, he was talking about this actual flesh and blood guy that was going to be here. Wow. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So then all of a sudden, <clears throat> makes you want to go back and read the prophets of other places. You know, out of Egypt, I called my son. Well, all of Israel came out of Egypt from slavery and into the promised land. What else did Israel do that Jesus is going to do that as Israel did it and interacted with God, which is probably the wrong way, how is Jesus going to do it and interact with God the right way? And um, so that's a little foreshadowing of the whole Gospel of Matthew of, hey Israel, you had a chance and you did it wrong. Now Jesus is here and he's gonna do it right. So Herod sees that he's tricked. He becomes furious. And remember, he's a really nasty character. And he orders all of the children, all the male children in Bethlehem, ages two and younger, to be killed. And now, um, if he knew how old Jesus was, you know, they knew how old he should be, why didn't they just do that? And it just points to how, how wicked Herod is. Um, he, he was just wiping out all of them. And, and this really points to this world that we live in, that there are nasty characters that are acting, and a whole lot of other people get hurt by their actions. And it just really it motivates you to to pray for your leaders and to pray for people of influence and to pray for people that make decisions because when they make decisions on a, on a citywide or a national scale, um, they, they don't have everybody's best interests in mind. And here's a perfect example of that. What's wild is that fulfilled a prophecy of Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. 
Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Matthew ties that right back to Jeremiah. Not happening in Bethlehem, but Rachel is just some of the descendants, um, Jewish people suffering and being in pain. But Matthew ties that specific spot to that because it was such a horrible thing. It was such an evil, terrible thing to happen. This is also pointing to head, ahead to surrounding Jesus. Evil gets shown for the evil that it is. There's going to be a lot of times when Jesus is going to teach something and a hearer that is evil... Nobody knew that they were evil until Jesus taught a teaching and that evil person reacted to it and responded to it. And, uh, or, you know, demons started yelling at him or whatever. There's a lot of times where, even, even in, in life, where talking about Jesus and bringing up Jesus really shows uh, where people are and what they really feel about something. And if they're just playing religion and if they're just going through the motions or if the actual true real teaching of Jesus makes them mad and makes them upset and makes them resistant. Um, it's a real it's a real show for me of am I just following some religious ideal or is this man Jesus? Am I following this man Jesus who is the savior of the world who saved me that I do anything for him? How do I do that? Never mind, uh, what, you know, what the world may say or what my own my own flesh thinks. Jesus really brings that stuff into view. So then Herod dies, and an angel comes to Joseph. We don't know how long it was. It's probably several years. And angel comes to Joseph and says, "Rise, take the child and his mother. Go to the land of Israel." For those who sought the child's life are dead. So now Herod's dead. We can go back to Israel. And you think, you know, Joseph is just being led by God in all these mighty ways, these visions, these angels appearing to him in dreams. And uh, he's going to just be this bold, faithful man, right? He heard, this is verse 22, he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. He was afraid. Even though God's guiding him, even though here he has uh, the Son of God living in his house, he still had fear. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And so there he was. He was afraid. He had another dream. We don't know what's in the dream, but we know it's a warning. And so instead of going back to Bethlehem, instead of going back to uh, Jerusalem, for sure, they go to Galilee. And Galilee is like a region. It's like the tri-state. Uh, you couldn't, you, you, didn't, you wouldn't have a mailing address that said Galilee any more than you'd have a mailing address that says Southern Indiana. Uh, it's just that whole area. He went and lived in a city called Nazareth. So the city is Nazareth. It's a small town. So that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. 
Now this is really cool. Um, there are Nazarites and there are Nazarenes. And they're different things. And a Nazarite is a type of vow that you would take and you would make offerings and you would shave your head and for a specific amount of time and you wouldn't have any wine and um, you would have some other restrictions on you. And then when the time was up, your hair would be growing out and you would shave your head again and the hair that grew during your Nazarite vow would be part of the offering. This is what Paul, the Apostle Paul, would do this later on uh, as a Christian, would do it, take a Nazarite vow and shave his head and all that stuff. This is what Samson was kind of a lifelong Nazarite, even though he didn't fast like he was supposed to. That's different. <clears throat> this is a Nazarene. Nazarene is somebody from Nazareth. <clears throat> or it can mean a couple other things. So Matthew might be doing a word play here where um, Nazarene, the word Nazarene, is a very, very similar word to a branch, like a branch that would grow out of a stump that had been chopped down. So if you, you know, you've seen a tree, <clears throat> let's just say a fig tree, and you chop it down, well, if you keep watering it and you don't put any chemicals on it or anything, a branch is gonna grow out of that, a shoot from the stump of that fig tree, and it's gonna grow and it will grow and be a full-sized, healthy tree, even though it's been chopped down. Well, the word for that shoot, that branch, if you take the vowels out, which they wrote without vowels sometimes, um, is the same as Nazarene. Okay, but wait, there's more. Um, the name Nazarene was kind of like country bumpkin or hick or hillbilly or uh, white trash I mean it was that it was that derogatory that slanderous and so when Matthew says so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene you can't find that in any of the prophets you can't find he will be called a Nazarene uh, it's not in the Old Testament. It may have been in some writings that they were familiar with at the time, but it's more likely that Matthew is taking, you know, in Isaiah 53, he'll be despised and rejected. Well, if you were a Nazarene, if you're a country bumpkin, if you're a hillbilly, you'd be despised and rejected. Um, Nazareth, later on, one of the disciples is going to hear about Jesus and he's going to say, Nazareth? What good comes out of Nazareth? It's that derogatory. It's that slandered. And so, um, you know, the prophets talked about nobody would know the Messiah was the Messiah. Again, Isaiah 53 talks about this. Um, there's, some, there's some spots in Jeremiah where the Messiah is referred to and kind of like what who are you why are you there's nothing special about you but you're the messiah and so it's almost like matthew is mixing his current language with the, the language of the prophets that he would be raised in nazareth so that he would just like the prophet said he wouldn't be a very special person he wouldn't be uh, 
handsome. He wouldn't be regarded. And so that finishes Matthew chapter 2. So here we are. We have all kinds of God's protection. We have God watching out for Jesus and Mary and Joseph. We even have God watching out for the Magi who were basically pagan sinners that came from the east, that came from this foreign land and worshipped. They fell down on their feet. They honored him with all that they had, all that they knew how to honor a king. And then you have King Herod, whose wickedness was known, uh, but was really exposed in how he responded to Jesus and his, his response to that. And then finally you have Joseph, who is getting all of this help from the Lord, but is still fearful. And I love it that it doesn't mention that that was sin. It doesn't say that him being afraid was sin. It doesn't give any correction, but instead it gives help. Gosh, uh, I don't have to confess for being afraid. I don't have to tell God I'm, I'm sorry that I'm fearful. Um, instead, I can ask for help. Help me in my fear, just like the guy that's going to come to Jesus later. It says, help me in my unbelief. There's all kinds of, of weakness that, you know, from American culture or uh, just our family culture, we think, gosh, that's sin. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. And, of course, Jesus says over and over, don't be afraid. But for Joseph, it was just normal and it was fine. And God showed him grace and met that. And uh, that fear played right into the fulfillment of prophecy that Jesus would be raised in Nazareth and be called a Nazarene. Just part of the plan. What else is excellent about that is as he grows up and he starts taking disciples, a lot of them are Nazarenes also. And uh, you just wonder, you know, what route would it have taken? It, it had to take that route. It had to be that perfect. So praise God for Joseph uh, having that fear and asking God what to do about it. All right. God bless you.